Welcome to the Pacific Keep Church Podcast. We believe everyone has a place in God's story. On this podcast, you will hear sermons, interviews, and other content from our pastors and community leaders at our church in Spokane, Washington. If you are blessed by this podcast and want to learn more about us, you can visit us on our website at pacifickeep.com. Additionally, if you want to support our work financially, you can give at pacifickeep.com forward slash give. Without further ado, here is this week's content. Well, good evening, Pacific Keep. Um, you know, it's been a, a rough week for many of us. Uh, just, uh, I'll be honest, uh, a little bit exhausted this week, and I'm here, and I'm not, like, in a war zone. Um, just received a ton of phone calls and, and text messages and um, email communication and, you know, online and on Facebook. And uh, for those of us, for those of you who have come to support and pray with us, thank you. Uh, we are in a process of just grieving uh, lots of emotions going through our heads, through our minds. Uh, we've been meeting with people and praying over the phone. We've been meeting with pastors. Uh, what's going on is not easy. And as I was preparing the sermon for today, you know, the week started out really interestingly. We wanted to wrap Philippians chapter 4. And in Philippians chapter 4, the part that we were supposed to preach through, the part that I wanted to preach through, in verse 4 of chapter 4 is this interesting passage that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And as if that wasn't insult, right, to injury, that sort of word from the Lord, saying it once in the face of what's happening for many of our loved ones who are literally being bombed right now, uh, he continues and says, Again, I will say rejoice. And it's the commandment of Jesus, through his servant Paul, to rejoice, comma, rejoice again. And what's happening this week that made me pause and go, how? <laughs> Have you ever been there? And I understood, after some prayer and some thought, that the reason the words were difficult for me is not because God doesn't want me to rejoice, but because I define the word rejoice completely wrong. I define the word rejoice as in the American dream being fulfilled for me. I define rejoice as my plans going the way I have them. I define rejoice as in my bank account is full and retirement is good. I define rejoice as in I'm going to vacation or on vacation and I have extra toys in the garage because I had a bonus last month. I define rejoice, people listening to me because I have status and reputation, but this is not what Paul is talking about. And the more I've been praying and thinking about this passage of Paul, remembering that the context in which he's speaking is a jail cell, right? In fact, he was on trial and his life was about to come to an end shortly after some of these words that he wrote in the New Testament, he would die. And so the conflict between rejoice and what was going on in my life had nothing to do with what he was saying, but it had everything to do with what was in my heart. And it probably has what, a lot to do with what's in our hearts. And so rejoicing and hardship are not in conflict with one another. In fact, rejoicing and when hardships arise, they're actually a revealer of sorts of what's in our hearts. I know many of you are worried right now. There are no answers. We sat around the staff or volunteer meeting prayer today, and you could just tell it on people's faces. We're just tired. 
And then I remembered that the scriptures are full of people going through hardships and we don't have to reinvent the wheel because Jesus himself went through hardship and Jesus himself went through trials. That Philippians is specifically about that looking at Jesus who walked through trials, still found it within him joy to secure our salvation via sacrifice. And the rejoicing that Paul talks about is not the American dream being fulfilled, but the process of counting everything as lost compared to Christ is the process through which he finds joy. And because of what's happening to a lot of us in our community, we are plunged back into that process, but God promises us joy because we know how the story ends. Yet in the middle of the hardship, we are asked to suffer. We are asked to cry. We are asked not to mask in front of God our true feelings. The raw emotion that I heard all this week is real, and we should allow it to be processed. We should weep. We should cry. That's normal. And anybody who tells you that, oh, just sort of it'll be okay when God comes back. They, 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 yes, that's true. But even Jesus in the garden cried before his hardship and his trial to find strength in the Father. It also dawned on me, you know, have you guys, we all watch, right, bad things on TV. The news is always bad. When is it good? And dawned on me like, you know, when things hit the news screen, you're like, oh, that's, that's really unfortunate. There's this academic brain level like sadness, right? There's like, oh, this is bad. And then, and then it kind of gets close to home, right? Like you see, like for me, for, for those of you who know me, I'm from Ukraine. Like, oh, my country's being bombed. And I felt horrible. Like the level of despair was even worse. You're like, oh, this doesn't feel good. Now this really hurts. And, and then, and then, and then I saw my hometown with, with the flame, right, and the fire. And then it gets even worse, and you break apart and go, what is going on? It reminded me of the book of Lamentations written by the prophet Jeremiah after something much like what a lot of us are experienced happened to his city of Jerusalem. You see, he was working and talking and preparing and sounding the alarm that something bad could happen if the people of Israel did not turn away from their sin, if something didn't happen, that God was going to allow the Babylonians to invade, and they failed the message. They didn't listen. They didn't heed. But once the destruction happened, instead of saying, I told you so, he just said, look, my people need a time of weeping. Our, my people need a time of prayer. My people need to process what they feel. I need to process how I feel. Regardless of what led to this point, the reality is the place and the people that I love are going through hardship and their response is lament. Their response is a broken heart. Their response is grief. See, we live in a culture that tells us that grief can't get you to the promised land, that you got to do everything to get rid of pain and raw emotion and grief. Hide it. Put on a smiley face. Be professional. Hide it. Don't bring that to work. And the scriptures say, no, reveal your hopes and dreams and desires in front of the Lord and have the Lord comfort you because he understands you. And so this prophet, Jeremiah, after Jerusalem is destroyed 586 years before the birth of Christ, the Babylonians surround the city and the Babylonians, they take away all of the educated and noble and the wealthy and they carry away all of the stuff that was good and precious in the temple and then they burn it down. And Jeremiah is looking at this and his response is just grief and lament and sadness. 
But it isn't just a grief and a limit and sadness that is isolated to him and himself. He brings it to God. One author I wrote says this, lament is the biblical response to the reality of suffering and it engages God in the context of pain and trouble. The hope of lament is that God would respond to human suffering. It's an honest response to God, but it's also a mirror. When hardships surround us, what happens is a mirror is placed in front of us, and everything that we value in our life is behind us like a mountain, a pile of stuff, and we have to answer the question, if this is it, if my life is to end right now because of the hardship, what of the stuff that I've accumulated in my life is important? That's what lament does. That's what suffering does. We are forced to look at everything we've acquired, everything we've achieved, everything that we think makes us worthy of whatever we think we're worthy of. And we ask the question, what of this actually matters? Very quickly, in a moment of trouble, like the Babylonian assault of Jerusalem or what we're seeing today happen all over the world in places that's close to us, we realize that the stuff doesn't matter. We realize that we can push most of it aside. And the most important thing is, of course, family, loved ones, and God. And God is going, wouldn't it be great if you could also prioritize that when things are good? Not that he wishes destruction or pain, but the evil in the world that we experience because of sin is present. And instead of allowing that stuff, the sin to crush us, God, through his providence, says, I will use this to shape you. When the hurt is greater, the shaping is greater also. When the hurt is high and the pain is deep, the presence of the Holy Spirit is more so. It's in these moments that we realize who Jesus is, and who God the Father is. As I stated, Jesus lamented before the cross. Going further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as your will be done. Here's why lament can be important. This is why I think what we've experienced this week, many of us, can be good for us because in the process of lament, in the process of figuring out what's important in life, if we look deeply inside of our praying and our grief, we actually hear that small, still voice of the Holy Spirit and God speaking to us that I am still here. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I have not abandoned you. And if I haven't abandoned you, then that's enough. If I'm still here, then that is enough. I can walk with you through whatever you're walking through. This is why David and all of his poetry and the Psalms that we read had these messages of hope as he was walking through struggle. As we read in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley or the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. God is found in these moments of lament. He is found in these moments of darkness. But also in Lamentations, we see this picture of the prophet Isaiah not only saying, hey guys, I'm not doing very well, pray for me. He gets very specific and lists his grief. He spells out and documents in front of God what it is he's hurting about. In church, we live in a culture that says, no, put it away. And the reality is we need to document in prayer what it is that we are suffering and tell it to God in detail. 
to bring it to him. He says this, the prophet in Lamentations 1, he says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who has great, who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She whips bitterly in the night. With tears on her cheeks among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. He lays it out, the grief and the pain. In the Hebrew translation, the opening verses, the how lonely a city, that word how is actually translated into like a phrase that spells this. How can it be that fill in the blank? Have you ever had a how can it be moment this week? How can it possibly be? How can it possibly be that I have experienced this loss? I talked to a man this week who said, my wife went to Ukraine for a visit, like a vacation, and she was supposed to fly out, and then the war broke out. Now she's stuck trying to find her way out through a battlefield. Do you know what he's saying this week? How can that be? We have other friends who said, you know, we put our kids to bed on Tuesday night, thinking tomorrow we're taking them to kindergarten, and then at, you know, 3 a.m. we woke up because the whole building was shaking. How can it be, Lord, that? Fill in the blank. You don't have to go overseas to have the same moment. How can it be that, you know, my loved one just got diagnosed with cancer? How can it be that? I just wrecked my car. I just bought it. How can it be? We tend to hide that, and God is like, list that. Tell me that. And he does this exercise of compare and contrast. He says, this is what the city was, full of people hustling and bustling. And now he says, and now she's lonely and empty. She used to be full, but no longer. He contrasts, and he has this honest conversation with God. And in this process, what he's saying is, this is how it should be, but this is how it's going. Have you ever seen those memes? <laughs> this is how it should be, and then how it started, and this is how it's going. Right? Starts out with a happy, we got married photo, we love one another, it, and this is how it's going. Is We just had our second kid, we haven't slept for three weeks, and we're kind of done. <laughs> And this is the life balance that we have. And so he lists everything that he is upset about. He contrasts, he documents it in prayer in front of God. And this is part of pain and suffering. Lament is a poetry of grief. And what it does, like I said, is it brings out what's important to us, but it also brings us closer to God because we need God. We need God more than our American dream. We need God more than our vacation. In fact, when this world is over, all the stuff that we've piled up, if we look in that mirror of lament, we know we can't take most of any of it with us. But why does it take so much priority in our life? It gives us an opportunity to process our grief and also, note this, to confess our sin. Church, I know that's not a very popular word today anymore, but to Jeremiah the prophet and to the people, they could look at their hardship and realize that even though they did not bring on the Babylonians, even though that they weren't responsible necessarily for that force moving against their city, they realized that it is the sin of man 
the evil and the desire to conquer is the same sin that drove them to be disobedient to God in places in their life that is driving this army against them because this is an army of conquering people. And it realizes to say, Lord, I'm going to clean my life up. I'm going to get back to what's important. I'm going to take some things out of this pile and I'm going to make it a priority to live for you. We stop being selfish. We stop being self-centered when lament and hardships make our reality shift around us. And the beautiful thing about the Christian faith that we have is we are told that God uses some of these situations that he does not will, that, that he does not want to happen, but they do because of sin, to then help us become the people that we are created to be in the image of Christ. It allows us to remove the idols from our lives. You see, the people of Israel, they thought that if we just have this temple and if we have all the right religious services, if we check the box, there is no way the temple could be attacked. Therefore, the city could not be attacked. And God was telling them, I'm not looking for religion. I'm looking for justice. I'm looking for a life that reflects love and care for the poor and for the widow and all of the other things. God's heart, it helps us get back to God. And I think lament gives us an opportunity to go, aha, I was relying on this, but this hardship has shaken up my life. And I know that I need to come back to God and say, Lord, use me for whatever you want to use me for. Church, that's my prayer. As we are going to conclude this time together in the word, and we're going to break out into prayer groups that There are a couple of things that we need to accomplish. Obviously, we need to be praying for people who are suffering on the ground, people in our family circles and in our friend circles who are over there. At the same time, I hope that this opportunity and this tragedy, rather, is an opportunity for us to say, Lord, how am I going to reprioritize my life so I can be useful for your kingdom, not my own kingdom? This is what lament allows us to do. I was talking to a pastor friend recently. He was telling me, you know, we have this prayer group that we, that we meet with and we call people and we text people and we try to get them over. And sometimes it's hard. If you've been one, one of those text messages, you're like, I don't want to come to that. Get me off the list. And he was saying how, you know, recently it's just been interesting how they've been texting and, and calling and asking. And some people are like, hey, don't contact me anymore. But then when this whole crisis hit, it was like prayer meeting was full. We didn't even meet, send out an invitation. <laughs> It just was full by itself. Sometimes God shakes up our life a bit because we're in a stutter. We are slow people. I am a slow person. And God shakes up my life. I love what the prophet, I read this passage for you, says this in Lamentations 3.17. It says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. I think some of us have felt that this week. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Then he says, remember my affliction and my wanderings and the wormwood and the gal. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation 
of the Lord. There it is. Sometimes when we are doing well, when situations around us are well, when everything's going fine, we think that we have strength to endure. And sometimes when we're thrown into a challenge that we cannot control, that we cannot change, we quickly realize that what I've got inside of me is simply not enough to get through this night. It forces us to put our gaze on Jesus and go, God, I need you because you have real strength. Have you felt exhausted this week? Have you felt hopeless this week with what's going on? He says, wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is in this moment of realization that what I've got isn't enough and that I need Jesus and I need God to get me through. This is the moment that real change happens. And it only unfortunately can come in the middle of hardships. Sometimes we are too slow to realize that. But when we get to that point and we find satisfaction in the Lord that are not based on exterior circumstances, we have attained gold that the enemy can never take away. It is in that moment we can truly have joy regardless of exterior circumstances. It is in that moment, through the lament process, through naming to God everything that we're tired about and angry about and mad about and realizing that we've come to the end of the rope, that we can't do it, that we don't have what it takes. And it's that moment of turning to God that we realize he's got it. He has joy. Ultimately, he died for us. And it's that moment we can sit in the jail cell just like Paul, knowing that he would be killed and can write to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. Not because everything's going well, but because no matter what happens, even if it doesn't go well, it'll still go well because God bought our salvation on the cross. And for those of us who are lucky to live here, who left the places that are being bombed now, that actually still have some privilege and good life and safety. It's not our time to figure out what to do with. It's not my time to figure out what I'm going to do. It is a historical anomaly that we live in peace. It is not normal to sit like this. For all of most of human history, somebody would be jacking your car right now and trying to kill you. <laughs> You know, like, this is not normal. And, and this stuff, what happened this week, made we realize, like, Lord, this isn't my life. Now you shape it. And church, maybe I sound a little crazy today and a little passionate, but I was putting my daughter down to go to bed on Wednesday night and Thursday night. And, you know, then just before, a few hours before, I watched my home city burning, and I realized, just flashed back to me, I went there in 2012 with my mom, I could very much be putting my daughter to bed in that city right now. I'd never in my life so far just thought, oh, the act of putting her down to bed is such a privilege. Usually I'm like, just go to bed. <laughs> I want to go watch a show. I'm tired. <laughs> and that night I just sort of let her weep a little bit and 
be herself. She can be pretty hard and just picked her up and held her and said, Lord, I, I get to do this. Just like, quiet. One of my pastor friends said his counterpart in Ukraine called this week and they were talking and you know, the bombs are going off and things were burning and they're trying to get their people into the subways and the pastor friend that's here in the Spokane said, hey, you guys are right there in that city where there's a lot of Russians and a lot of Ukrainians and so it's like a mix of people. Are you guys okay? Are people fighting? Are they blaming one another for what's going on? You know, are the Ukrainians blaming the Russians and all that? And he said, absolutely not. We're all in this together. We are not mad at the Russian people because we're not a nationalist church. We're an international community of followers of Christ. He said, are you mad at God that he's allowed this to happen? And he says, no. And he said, these following words that I want to take as a mantle and a motto for us in this season, this pastor under bombing said, if God allowed this, then we must endure it. The kingdom of God is God's power in action, which looks to the future in the hope of the resurrection and manifests itself in the present. So we can endure whatever, not because we know everything will be okay here, but because God has secured for us. We don't choose what happens in our life, church, but we can choose how to endure it. And I pray that we choose to endure it with Jesus in the valleys and on the mountaintops. Amen.